0: Welcome to the RSM Talk Big podcast, helping you invest well, understand money and achieve the best tax outcomes. Your hosts today are Andrew Sykes, Chris Oates and Young Han.
1: Well, hello everyone and welcome to the RSM Talk Big podcast. I'm your host today, Andrew, and I'm joined in the studio by Young. Hey. Chris. And online with Louise Bedford. So Louise, uh, we're going to have a chat with her about a bit of trading and um, she is a professional uh, in this and she's from The Trading Game. Louise is the founder of tradinggame.com.au and she's a best-selling author of five books on the stock market, well done, and a behavioural finance expert with degrees in psychology and business. Welcome, Louise.
2: Oh, it's fantastic to be here, Andrew and Young. Very excited about today.
1: And in particular, with a a time of a lot of market volatility, we're getting advice from everyone, uh, from the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker, aren't we, Young?
3: That's right. And then just the COVID with the share market, has been crazy. So people are interested, but then just not sure where to start. And I never trade before, but now I started to have more interest and thinking about getting a portfolio under my children's name. So I'll be very interested to um, get some tips from you today.
2: Yeah, fantastic. Well, we could kick off with the market volatility, perhaps, because there is some good news on the horizon. Would that be a good spot that's to start? That's a great
1: place to get started, because that's why we, we're standing around at barbecues. That's what we hear, the market volatility. And look, the, I'd love you to start with that, but also just explain how we cut through some of that. You get a tip at a barbecue, how you cut through that. There's a lot of opinions, aren't there? Stack of <laughs> opinions. So talk, talk to us about market volatility.
2: The <laughs> Well, look, currently around the world, if we look at the world's major indices, sure the volatility has been historically high, there is no doubt, it's been climbing for the majority of indices since the very start of the year, and that has made it difficult for traders, because in general terms, what I'd love is a very clear trend with very low volatility. I don't want a big peak to trough ratio, it makes it really hard because you keep getting stopped out of positions. If we look at the percentage of volatility, which is how much do these indices move on a weekly basis, every single industry that is a major driving industry around the world is rolling over. So volatility has started to drop and the Australian market has got about half the volatility of things like the NASDAQ, the CAC, the DAX. So that makes the Australian traders sitting pretty in terms of some of the things that they can do with trading.
1: So now is actually a better time to be trading than it has been over the last 12 months.
2: Absolutely. I do think we have had a very choppy time. It has put a lot of people off the markets It has been traditionally very difficult to trade a market like that because a lot of false signals are generated and you sort of jump at your own shadow in that type of market. But what we're facing now is a time if all of those indices are going to continue in that direction, the length of the the candlestick is actually decreasing. So that does make it a lot easier.
0: So you mentioned the, the candlestick, so what do you mean by that?
2: I'm glad you picked me up on that. (laughs)
0: Candlesticks.
2: (laughs) Candlesticks are the basic building block of a share chart. So they cover the open and the close and the high and the low. And if the candle has gone up for that period, say let's say a day, then the little candle colors in green. And if it's gone down, then it colors it in red. So we've got green, the color of growth, We've got red, the colour of blood. So you have an instant <laughs> visual about whether that share that you're in or that you're considering buying is on the way up or on the way down.
1: So there's different ways. So you, you mentioned charts, et cetera, and, and I understand that forms what's called technical analysis. What's the difference between technical analysis and say going reading a research report or, or going and looking at a company's website, et cetera.
2: Yeah, look, I do think there are a few differences here that we need to discuss. And Andrew, with your background, your listeners may not even realise that you used to be a stockbroker. So isn't it lovely that you're in here? Yeah, a
1: different lifetime ago, yes.
2: (laughs) 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 Hence I know the term
1: (laughs) technical analysis.
2: (laughs) Quite a long time ago, I know. But I do think all of these types of mindsets, we carry them with us. So often the way we do one thing is the way we do everything which is why property investors often do very well in the share market. If you've got a business that where you're used to calling the shots, often you'll do well in the share market as well. So, in terms of the types of analysis that we can do, fundamental analysis is where you're looking at things like profit and loss and PE ratios. And it's the standard type of things that the talking heads on the TV show say are important. You know, some of the things they say though, it's completely contradictory. They will sometimes say, well, the market went up on profit taking today. And I'll go, what? That makes no sense. So years ago, I had a role at a credit information company. I had all of that fundamental data at my fingertips and I could not get that fundamental data to help me make money. And that is of course what I was interested in. So I switched completely over to technical analysis where I'm looking at share charts, I'm looking at price and volume information on a share chart, and I'm making my decisions on a predefined set of rules.
1: So would it be fair to say, based on what you said, is that fundamental analysis, so understanding what a company does, its business, et cetera, can tell you whether to buy it, and a chart can tell you when.
2: Beautifully put, a lot of people do it that way. I dumped fundamental analysis actually completely because it wasn't aiding my decision making. However, a lot of people do like to help that detect a short list of shares before they decide when to enter.
1: Yeah, and I, I think you did uh, did point out that once uh, I was a stockbroker and I have clients ringing me up and saying, well, why is this share going up? And I would say, well, there's more buyers than sellers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it can exactly. often be as simple as that kind of, Chris. And and you that's would right. deal with that, don't you, Chris?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right in the financial planning space. That there's plenty of reason. People have money they want to buy. They say, what should we be buying? What shouldn't we be buying? And it really comes down to whether you're trading or investing. And I know, Louise, you look at, you talk, people say, oh, well, I'm a day trader. I trade every day and try to pick bottoms and tops and make money that way. But it's really about investing for the long term. And I think that's a difference between when you look at the fundamentals and the technical analysis. The technical analysis really helps to know when to get in to the market. So are you able to sort of help explain what the difference you would, how you would say a trader and and an investor are?
3: Sure. I I think oh sorry for me because I'm, I'm we are accountants so we know yeah. that fundamentals and financials are hard to read financials but if someone does not have that financial or accounting background and actually looking at getting into the trade market I think it's safer to start with investing rather than trades because trades come you know requires a lot of knowledge and expertise
1: so a couple of great questions there difference between trading and investing and like, Kind of how do you get started?
2: Yeah, look, I think a lot of people think in binary terms. You know, do I do fundamental or technical? Why why not merge into the two if you're more comfortable with that, particularly if you've got an accounting background, Young? You know, you've got the knowledge already with the fundamental side so you can use technical to give you an edge. And Chris as well, I do think people from the financial planning background have such a wonderful expertise in terms of that long-term view. And I do want people to take that on board because it is such an important aspect of wealth creation. It is not something that I do on a day-to-day basis in the markets where I'm in and then I'm out, then I'm in. My average hold time is a lot longer than I think most people would realize. I'm looking to have that primary trend in place. So some of the differences between a trading and an investing type of mindset, some people who are investors, they may never have thought of using a stop loss order. So that is where you make a predetermined decision about when to exit prior to even getting into that trade. Now I do think every investor should borrow that from the trading community, I think everybody should work out, even in their relationships. Frankly, what is? Maybe <laughs> <a, laughs> no, we won't go
3: there.
1: a
2: What's a deal breaker for you? When is that thing that you're in love with? When have they just abused you too much so that you have to walk out the door? Take that any way you like, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So it's really about, well, yeah, protecting yourself. So, so many people, they say, it'll come back, it'll come back, we'll, we'll make our money back one day, but it's not always the case. It's, you do need to make a decision at some point, this isn't working, what else should we be doing?
2: Yeah, the interesting aspect to that as well is from a mathematical point of view, you actually make more money by staying out of the worst days compared to if you were in for the best days. So that defensive mindset that I have to be careful here because the market is a big hairy beast and I'm just a little human, that's not a bad way to consider the way that you should think about trading and investing. No share can hear you, no matter how much I barrack for them. You know, I sit there like, come on, baby, come on, jump resistance. <laughs> you can do it. it. It can't hear me. I think we all know that and perhaps that's a sign that I'm working alone a little bit. I think that we really need to treat trading like a business. When we're getting started, back to your early topic there, how to get started, you educate yourself, you read excellent books, you find a mentor, somebody who's a little bit further down the path than you are, so that you can hang off them, you know, listen to their every word, immerse yourself in their field and that way you've got a really good shot of rising above these people who continually lose money and hang on in there because it's a gambling mentality.
3: I guess that's a really overarching strategy that you want to tell everybody Uh, but what are the strategies that you think we should be considering or you know be interested? Yeah well
2: look I think there's a lot to creating an effective trading plan in the first place. So one of the first steps is to work out why do you want to trade? You know, what is it about trading that gives you a bit of a flutter in your stomach that says, yes, this is where I want to be, that's what I want to do. And that is a really good place to start. And then have a look at the markets that you are comfortable looking at and trading. If you don't like staying up at night or staying up for 24 hours a day, Maybe that is a good reason not to trade some of the other markets around the world. Maybe there's some instruments that you've decided that can be your forte. So I prefer weekly charts, I prefer the ASX market, and I prefer equities, okay? So that narrows it all down for me as to where I'm heading. Maybe you choose two or three different markets or timeframes, but no more because it gets very complicated. You work out a system and whether that's from a mentor where, for example, the members of my mentor program, they borrow my own trading system because it's easier sometimes than creating one yourself and then you look every quarter perhaps every six months you monitor your own behavior so what have I been doing well what would I do differently what do my results say is there an area of the market where I'm excelling so I should put more money into that area is there a system or a time frame where I'm not making as much money. So it's not a natural fit. So maybe I should strip that away. So treating this as a business from the very beginning is going to give you the best results.
3: And I think another thing will be about your interest. So if you're really into medical industry, then you're obviously gonna be more switched on looking at those companies that, you know, developing more in the R and D medical space or with the COVID, you know, a lot of vaccination just affected a lot of
2: companies, how
3: they perform.
2: Absolutely. I think that is a real situation as well, what calls to you, because that can really spark that interest. I do find, though, one of the things that I have noticed about the people I've trained young, if they've got a particular specialty, for example, mining, often because they do fall in love with those shares, they actually don't do as well with their results in that domain. So we do have to be careful about objectivity, keeping our head, making sure we don't fall in love with a particular industry, segment, share, and relying on the data so that we can actually make a very sound decision.
3: I can't agree more than that. There's, you know, it's like when you're teaching your own kids, you just can't do well because you're so emotionally attached
2: to them. (laughs) <laughs> I fell in love with a share called West Farmers. So, in my own trading plan, specifically in my trading plan, I have that I'm never allowed to trade West Farmers ever ever again. <laughs> I
0: <laughs> have no
2: objectivity. It's like I don't, I've don't. i never had an ex-husband but I imagine it would be like an ex-husband that I keep bouncing back to which is <laughs> never, never a good idea in my view. So West Farmers and me really, it whined me, it dined me, it showed me such a good time and then it dumped me. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have to um, leave that as a bit of an exception but other than that I will trade anything that is providing that buy signal for me.
1: Yeah. One thing that you're saying and it really resonates with me is the importance of not 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 losing money. We've just recorded a podcast on what rich people know and you should, and one of our tips in that was that they try not to lose money and we gave the example if you start with $1000 and you lose Five hundred fifty percent you need to make 100% before you get back to square one. So does that resonate with your trade? Are we reading that right, what you're saying?
2: Absolutely. And Chris, you would have found the same with the people that come to see you that would be exceptional in terms of organising their life, organising their finances. By avoiding that trauma of a critical loss of a significant downfall, they would be much further ahead. And I think that would be something that really that whole financial planning area, the trading area, the investing area would all have in common.
0: Oh, it's exactly right. It's whether somebody's about to thinking of retiring or they're trying to build up wealth. If you're not chasing the eight ball or chasing your losses from the get go, then you'll do a lot better over the long run. And I think that fits into, there's the
1: old saying, you don't go broke making profits. Yeah, I hate that saying. I I think you do go broke taking profits because you don't tend to take your losses. How how do you deal with that, Louise, that you don't go broke taking profits? I
2: disagree with that statement completely. I do want to emphasise that the majority of my profits only come from two or three positions every single year. So what happens is I'll throw myself at these, according to my trading plan. I'll do everything the same as well so it's very duplicatable. However not every trade has read that rule book. And often what I'll find is that I get stopped out for a lot for breakeven. Sure, there are some little profits in there for a lot of them as well, but every single year, just two or three, maybe five if I'm lucky, go absolutely ape. And they are the ones that make my entire bank account. So this you can't go broke taking a profit worries me. It is against one of the key principles that I follow in the trading world, we call it be a pig. So if you're making a lot of money, throw more money at it, pyramid in, make sure that you have a wide stop to give it a lot of room for volatility and movement. Hang on in there, even though your gut feel is telling you jump out because that's more money than you've ever seen in one pay packet in your life. Do everything that you can to stick with that. Primary trend. So if people are getting out because they've made a little bit of money, they won't be hanging on in there for those big outlier trades.
1: And that's exactly right is because you generally hear you don't go broke taking a profit after the person's taken, say, a 10% profit and the share's gone up to a 300%. Oh, so it's generally gosh. said when people <laughs> miss out. And, and I think that comes down to people sabotaging themselves. And uh, look, I've noticed you've got a degree in psychology. How do you apply that to trading and people sabotaging themselves?
2: Yeah, I see a lot of that actually, Andrew. It's fascinating to me to see people's results because a lot of my traders, when they're coming back for their kind of maintenance type of meetings, I get to look at the core data that they've used. They've purchased all these shares, they've got out of all of these ones, and then we can crunch the numbers and see where their issues are. Now, I have got a couple of traders I am fascinated to watch. They are exceptional traders. They make so much money. But because they have a shoot-yourself-in-the-foot mentality, all of a sudden, <laughs> once they get to a certain peak, they actually make mistakes. They make a transcription error. They put an extra zero on one of their orders. They go short instead of long, which is exact opposite of what they were hoping to do. They will go and blow a lot of money on a couch. One person paid $32,000 for a beautiful, but A couch, $32,000. So it's almost like that person was trading themselves back down to a comfortable level because they hadn't emotionally developed that wherewithal to be able to handle that higher level of being. I think that's what makes
3: it more interesting because, yes, you can do all this analysis based on the facts, but because we are not robots, we are not programmed, so your emotion comes in and that's why it becomes more interesting. Sometimes it can be really good, sometimes it could be very bad and that nicely leads to, you know, what do you do to re- manage your
2: risk? Yeah managing risk is a real key. I think most people when they start in the markets they think entry is so important. How do I get in and they forget about how do I get out for a start and how much money to put into a position to equally valid aspects of actually trading. So I do think that risk management people don't realise. I'll throw some terms around. You've got some traders listening, I know you have, so if you don't have some of these terms in your written trading plan I guarantee you you are doing it wrong have you considered your portfolio heat do you have an anti-Martingale strategy? Have you got a Kelly principle guiding your maximum position sizing? Have you asset allocated between segments of the market, whether that be time frames, whether it be instruments, whether it be countries? These are the type of aspects that come into play at a more advanced level. Sure, you can get started just by throwing a few dollars in and watching it grow and hey, aren't I a superstar? But as we know, there is always always an extra level of sophistication required to get those top results.
1: So you're talking really about trading as a business. We would expect as, as accountants, we would expect our clients to have a business plan.
3: That's right. To so, work
1: towards something, have some rules around how they run their business. So you're, you're essentially talking about this, this can be a business for people.
2: This is, this should be that same mindset that you apply to your business that helps you succeed in business should be applied to the markets. And actually, I do have a little story about my first accountant. (laughs) 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 I've been dying to tell you all this. When I started trading, my first accountant, I guess he was my starter accountant. He was like on training wheels. I do remember when I said to him, I'm going to be a full-time trader. We were walking up some stairs at that stage and he towered above me and he laughed at me. He laughed in my face. He was this (laughs) far away from me. It was pre-COVID days, let's remember. And he goes, you, you're never going to be a full-time trader what makes you think that you've got what it takes? Now, I have to say, at that very moment, I had two options. I could say, yeah, you're right. Maybe, maybe this isn't for me. You know me better. So maybe I should quit. Or I could work out in my mind roughly what I thought he was making every year Trade myself up past that level and then dump him as an accountant. A prison wrong. (laughs) Actually, what I did.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm certainly never gonna cross you, Louise.
2: (laughs) So I do urge everybody listening to make sure that the team that you have surrounded yourself with has your best interests at heart make sure that they have an understanding about you as a person the vehicles that you're looking to create wealth and can grow with you which is one of the reasons why i'm on your show i love your philosophies i love that you've got the financial planning side and the accounting side and that you all like a tapestry, you intermingle and you talk to each other for the wealth and the health of your clients. And that is an extremely rare aspect. And I do commend you for that.
1: Oh, thank you very much. But really, what your story brings to mind is so you obviously had no financial background or for your accountant to question you so much. So have you noticed among your clients? I mean, can, can anybody do this? Or do you need a special type of person or background?
2: Yeah, look, I've toyed with this idea a lot. My business partner says the opposite to me. See, I think everybody can do it if they want it badly enough. So that's where I've seen some amazing results. There was an artist that I trained. She had barely even used a calculator before. And because the whole red and green thing came together for her and she got really into patterns and (laughs) from an aesthetic point of view, she she actually painted candlestick charts. She really got into it. And all she had to do then was follow step-by-step about how much money to put into each position when to get out, how to put on the orders. She had checklists so that she could follow it. And she did all of that because she had a big enough dream to create money out of a side, it's a side hustle, really. A side it's hustle. A separate, yeah. yeah. And that's really
1: interesting because <laughs> that's that's what I was going to ask you next is we we get the impression that the um, the stock market is only for for people who've got a lot of money. I mean, realistically if you wanted to get started and give it a go where are you sitting how much would you need to 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 invest or to trade
2: i often think the first step with wealth creation is saving because that is often underestimated. So if you've got less than the $10,000, $15,000 mark, you really need to save your way up to that level to be an effective trader, because otherwise you're just going to fritter away money on brokerage. You know, it's still, even though it's cheaper than it used to be, it still actually has an impact, your brokerage that you're paying. Not only that, I think emotional pressure,
3: like if that's the only money that you have that you can, then then you're just going to be so emotionally attached to it. So if something goes wrong, you're just going to make a wrong decision.
0: And you're going to be so focused on, well, performance. So, and then you get that pressure that that's where you start making decisions based on emotion and going back to that fear. And yeah. well, we talk about fear of missing out. So it really does, you need to make sure that you have that structure. You know, what your goal is. We, in our, another episode that we recorded, we were saying about making sure you're putting away your savings. Yeah, so yeah. And you are making
1: balance. it, obviously, the ways you're making it very difficult for yourself if you're trading in $500 parcels and you're paying $50 brokerage each you know, to buy and sell, you've got to make 10% before you even see a profit.
2: You do. And I do think people really, when they kick off, they need to be in it for the education. You're not going to instantly become a full-time trader. This is going to be a three to five-year project. You're going to learn so much about yourself, so much about how the markets work. That theory where scared money never wins. I love that because you're right, money flees need. If you are saying share market, Produce these results for me. I want a new boat.
3: You, <laughs>
2: <laughs> you, are never going to be able to provide the correct signals in your mind to be able to trade. That you're going to be forcing trades. You'll take inappropriate exits, and you'll shoot yourself in the foot.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, so say I've 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 saved. I've got my ten to fifteen thousand dollars. Uh, am I just putting that all down on one trade? How am I managing my risk there?
2: Andrew, put it all on black.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll make it uh, 30 and then we can start really <laughs> trading. No, no, seriously, how, how, am I, how much of that? I mean, am I, do, do I have a risk management strategy? How am I making sure I don't lose it all on my first trade?
2: Absolutely. Well, look, I think that 10 to 15,000 is really just for starters. So, ideally, if you can go the 50 to $100,000, think of this like an investment property. What would you put in for a deposit? That is the type of now you're getting serious type of level. Now, when you're looking at a very low value before you get involved in the markets, you're really only going to be able to buy, say, five shares, watch them, learn from them, hopefully grow. But once you've started with about, say the 40, 50, 60,000 dollars and above, that's where you can really seriously invest in some good software. So you'd have something like Beyond charts or Metastock, to be able to scan the markets. You'd have a good broker, usually an online broker these days, so that you can transact online which is fantastic and you'd probably also be investing in your own education pretty seriously as well you know I'd really suggest people find people they relate with and hang on in there so that you can actually give yourself time to learn so no it's not just pulling a name like you know way back in the day, Sausage Software. What a cute name. money into <laughs> yes. Sausage Software because I thought it was so sweet. Yeah, we don't do that these days. There's a lot more to this.
1: <laughs> these, these guys are too young to remember Sausage Software, but I, oh, I remember darlings. it and it was bought out. It was a great takeover. It was a good, it actually was a good uh, company.
2: I know, and so then I did other things based on a name because of that way back when. Not good, not a good strategy, I don't recommend it. What you're looking for is something that's already going up. So you're never going to be able to catch a falling knife. If something is dropping like a stone, even if you've heard a rumor that they've discovered gold in our upper combustor west, don't buy that one until you see a breakout. You see it turn around, you've got an uptrend that you can read and you're looking for a breakout past resistance with a long blocky candle on good heavy relative volume and that is a breakout signal there's some other signals you can use as well but that would be a great place to get going
0: and having that analysis and doing the hard work because a lot of people when they get started they say all shares go up and down I'll just put some money in that might go down to start with and then it will go up but if you actually can do that analysis it you it's again you you're protecting your losses And you're actually thinking about, well, what am I buying and when?
2: You really are. And I think this is a good opportunity, Chris, to talk about specific risk as well. So a share by themselves, that particular share has the chance. I mean, it's an an unlikely chance, but it could go out of business. It could drop from the sky, for example. So that's specific risk. So we need to look to spread our risk as well. There are things called ETFs. There are index trades that you can take. There are managed funds in the Chris world as well (laughs) all of that is appropriate because you're not looking at specific risk with indices if you do have a share in an indice that's looking a little bit like a dog they snap that out of the indice and put in a winner so that's why indices have that upward bias that pressure to keep going up because that survivor bias taking out the duds putting in the new ones means that we do have a trend that is more likely to be up in the medium to long term.
1: And that's why you were saying you need fifty to 100000 so you can spread that risk across multiple stocks. You don't just need to be right every single time.
2: Absolutely. It takes the pressure off you. It allows for a learning curve and it gives you that basis for wealth creation because we're not looking at a flash in the pan here. Now, I put money into share traders' pockets and I make it stick. And that is the key, making it stick. You don't want to have this flash in the pan where, hey, we've got an explosive winner. And then, oh my gosh, it's crashed back down to nothing, taking you with it. So we want to make sure we evaluate risk carefully. We take measured steps based on a written trading plan and that we focus on a few different aspects of wealth creation.
1: So you must have seen, you've been doing this for quite a while and through your website, trading tradinggame.com.au, you must have seen people starting out with that 50 or 100,000 that have been patient and over a period of years, they've then turned it into their full-time business.
2: Absolutely. It's just amazing. The thing that I love about that, Andrew, is that seeing, because I've got a repeat for free mentor program, I've been running this, this is our 23rd year that we're coming into, seeing people who kicked off with that very first mentor program and seeing the changes in their lives. Oh, wow. It's the schools they send their children to. It's the cars they drive. It's the holidays that they go on. And probably the thing I love most is their ability to say no. They can say no to a boss They can Mm. say no to a move into state. They can say no, I don't want that promotion or I don't want that demotion. I'm not gonna do that because they've got a side income.
3: I mean, like I always been interested. My dad always did chair trading, but um when I actually thought about starting, like I I felt like it wasn't for me in a way because when I actually, you know, because I didn't know where to start, I was looking for an investment advisor, but funny thing is they're always male dominant like I I couldn't find anyone that's like a female investment advisor you know who actually gets my lifestyle um you know some some I'm not being gender biased but like there is a difference in emotions and you know the the commitment the family commitment and things like that so I don't know like do you find that a lot of in in your client do you have more of the female or the males and who do who do they do better?
2: (laughs) Yeah yeah look it's been fascinating because I've got that psychology background my traders they're quite used to me running surveys and (laughs) You're running rats through mazes, as somebody kindly put it recently. (laughs) So I can actually rely on the data coming out of the surveys that I run. But also there are some broader global studies as well. So yes, women do outperform the men. (laughs) This is the fascinating thing. The thing is, though, there are fewer women who are trading than there are males. It runs about 70% male. 30% female. Now, I'm sure there's some people in between as well, just to cover all of our bases here. Now, the thing that I think is really fascinating is relying on very recent data because we have had a pandemic. There is, well, I think we still are having a pandemic. (laughs) We, We have got information around the world about performance. Now in times of stress and I'm just going to read this headline so that I don't mess up one of the words. In times of stress female fund managers take less risk than men for the same performance. Mm -hmm. So let's think about what that means. We're often more conservative, we avoid risk inherently. And it's interesting that with this one in particular, it's the same performance. So you can actually have somebody who's protecting you, but earning what a male fund manager would earn. So I love that. I think that that is pretty much what I see in terms of the surveys. Yes, my females do outperform the males, but in particular, their views towards risk are very different.
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised by what you're saying. I, I would have thought that uh, most men would think that they're better than their trading plan and would second-guess it, yeah. whereas women are probably more likely to stick to the their trading plan and have a bit more discipline about what they're doing, which is discipline's critical to doing this, isn't
2: it? Oh, it sure is. I do think that ego can be really such... <laughs> A twin-edged sword here. We need enough ego to get us involved in the markets, but not so much that we ignore the signals. You know, the number of times I see the guys kind of beat their chest. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, uh, it's is—it's a fascinating journey. So the ones that really do the best are the ones that allow the markets to educate them. They come down a notch in terms of their pride. They listen to signals. They follow a written trading plan. They are willing to do support and nurture and care for other traders i actually team up my traders and experienced trader with a newbie and that way they've got somebody to rely on you know when i was when my child was first in prep they were given a grade sixer to look after them so yeah i do the same for my traders
1: there you go so uh where thank you very much we're running out of time here louise i could talk trading all day i think it's a fascinating subject where can we hear more from you
2: Well, look, I'd love to have you over to my website. Come to tradinggame.com.au and I will give you my free trading plan template when you register on my site and you'll also get my trading made simple e-course. Now what that will do is give you that broad basis. It's often a good starting point for people who haven't traded before but for people who have traded before it can actually just polish what you've got there. You're getting another perspective, somebody who's been in the In the markets for three decades. Oh, my God. I don't know <laughs> when I'm going to stop admitting to how long I've been trading. <laughs> Might be sooner than we think. So I do feel that that would be the next ideal step for your listeners. Come over, get my trading plan template, get my free e-course at trading Game.
1: And I could not recommend that more because Young, you asked before about getting started and where do you find information? I find if you Google share trading, you get mainly overseas sites and you mainly get paid for advertising type sites so I think having a reliable source where you can go to and actually get started I think
3: I actually feel much more comfortable now actually seriously considering starting it and so thank you so much for providing all your information and
2: wisdom
1: yes thank you
2: well look I've loved being on the show I love what you guys are doing here what everybody's doing I shouldn't use that gender term anymore should I (laughs) 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 We'll
0: take it's it as an, an
2: inclusive yep. term. And really, as well, is if there's anywhere where you're stuck young or anybody listening to the show, you're welcome to actually contact me through email. You can get it on my website, tradinggame.com.au. Send me an email, say you've heard heard from me on the show, and give me an idea about what you're aiming to achieve. And I'm more than happy because I have had Oh, all those years experience, I'd like to shortcut your trading journey so that you don't have to achingly go through every painstaking step that I went through.
1: Excellent. Well, there's some uh, great ideas on trading there today, guys. I think we've just just scratched the surface of it and, and we could go on with it, but that's all we've got time for. Uh, thank you very much, Louise, for your time today. Uh, Thank you, Young and Chris. Uh, This has been the RSM Talk Big podcast and I've been your host, Andrew Sykes. You can get our podcast, subscribe to it wherever you get your favourite podcasts from. Until next time, this has been RSM Talk Big. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Talk Big. Create, save and protect with
0: RSM.